Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. So if you're a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. Today, I am excited to start a new series here at Ed Council Insights called Leaders and the Law. What we want to do with this series is explore some concepts at or near the intersection of school leadership and school law. The idea is to bring a variety of leader voices to the table to talk about how school law fits into school leadership and how school leaders need to think about the law and how it fits into their practice. So for this first edition of Leaders in the Law, I can think of no better person to have this conversation with than our guests today. We have with us today someone who has stood at the crossroads of school law and school leadership, Dr. Paul Ziegler. Paul is uniquely qualified to talk about this topic because he has the distinction of having been both a school attorney and a superintendent. Moreover, Paul is just a great guy to have a conversation with. So with that intro, welcome Dr. Paul Ziegler. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. I I think your uh, bench must be pretty short. If I'm if I'm the first guy you go to, but I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, uh, two things that uh, certainly have filled filled my last uh, twenty seven or twenty eight years are the law and education. So, well, uh, you say that, but uh, you were the person I thought of immediately when we thought about this topic, and and their topics uh, topics. I say topics because it's actually the combination of two topics: school leadership and school law. And that intersection between those two is always fascinating me for obvious reasons, but it's something that I thought of you right away because you do have a unique background and you and I've had some great conversations about leadership and about the law and how they fit together. So I, I, I thought uh, you are the perfect person to start with. So I'm thankful that you're here with us today. It's, it is great to be here. And what a year, you know, what a, this is kind of a, <laughs> a nice way to kind of have some kind of normal uh, having a conversation with you as opposed to what we've had to deal with this year. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Well, let's start with a little background about you. Um, You know, some of our listeners may not be familiar with you. um, And why don't we just start with what you're doing today? Well, you know, I have the pleasure of serving uh, the St. Louis region. Uh, I am the CEO at uh, Education Plus. And while that sounds awfully corporate-like, really we're cooperative of... uh, of all of our regional school districts here. And we, we help them with cooperative purchasing, um, professional development, and then making sure that uh, they have advocacy, whether that's in Jeff City or locally, but we kind of create that network and an opportunity for, for, you know, for us to have an, a great you know, set of colleagues get together and share best practice and, and, and kind of have a sounding board with each other. It's, it's really a pretty fulfilling opportunity I have. You know, one of the things that I think is pretty uh, uh, interesting about Ed Plus is really you've got you've got urban, large districts within your uh, cooperative, but you also have small rural in in some ways, right? And so you've got some, a little bit of diversity there, and kind of bringing them together in a cooperative function's got to be interesting at times. It is, and you know, it's part of the strength really of the cooperative is our ability because. You know, you often think, well, that leader that's running that large school district, they must have all these resources and have all these opportunities to understand best practice. 
And then you talk to somebody that's a leader in a small district and their perspective is different because of that perspective, they offer some insight to some of the large leaders that they wouldn't see and then vice versa, you know, obviously. So I think it's really the strength of the cooperative is that diversity, not only in uh, you know, size of school, location of school, diversity, all those things, but we've really had some uh, great experiences with little districts and large districts and urban and rural being able to really share and, and network and, and really create a strong bond here in the region. So it's, it, like I said, it's a great opportunity. Well, and by, by way of background, Paul, uh, why don't you just tell us what you've uh, done prior to coming to Ed Plus? I know you're retired now from the uh, educator side of it, but uh, why don't you just uh, tell us where you've been and what you've done? You know, I got to straighten one thing. I did not retire. I am actually the first person that's ever been an uh-huh. executive director or CEO here that's not retired. Um, I'm actually still in the system as a educator. In Excellent. School. So it was a little change when we came here, but, you know, kind of what led me here, um, you know, going way back, I, I didn't even know I'd go to college, to be honest with you. I kind of uh, ended up going to college because somebody said, hey, you want to play football? And while that seems, you know, it just wasn't a focus of academics, but then as soon as I got there, I realized I wasn't going to go play in the NFL and education really became important to me. And, and I actually originally was a criminal justice major and graduated with the undergrad in criminal justice, but in that process had substitute taught a couple times over spring breaks and other, and really fell in love with teaching and also wanted to kind of think about coaching. So I added on a master's in special education. And after leaving Kirksville, it was Northeast then, Truman. Now, um, came back home here to St. Louis and taught special ed in Francis Howell and, and was given some opportunities and some leadership positions at the building level and, and at the district level. And ultimately ended up with me being an assistant soup in Northwest School District. And that's when I went to law school. And went at night while I was... Uh, working full-time as a super, as assistant superintendent in the day. And, and it was really a good fit um, in the sense of a lot of what I was doing in my role as assistant superintendent really intersected with policy and procedure and law. So it was kind of a nice fit. And I was fortunate enough that I had a great family that really supported that idea of me being gone that much because literally most weeks, you know, leave Monday morning at at 630 and I was pretty much an absentee dad until, you know, Friday when I came home after work and, and I had a, you know, real supportive family that really helped with that and allowed me to do that. So it's kind of how I ended up in law school. I'd always kind of enjoyed the law. I had some great professors in undergrad with that criminal justice that really, they were lawyers and they kind of invoked or, you know, started my thoughts towards maybe being in the law sometime, but um, it took a it took a few years to come together. So, so surely at at some point you had to kind of make this decision. You know, you got to a fork in the road probably where you had to decide: okay, am I going to pursue this law thing, or am I going to uh, pursue education <clears throat> or a career in education? And so, tell us how that went. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, when I first started in that, I think I was actually executive director at first or whatever, but in that first role in central office, uh, one of the first assignments I had was to revise the policy 
book for the board. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember taking it, and, you know, your first experience in central office, you knew there was board policies, but chances are as a building administrator, you didn't spend a lot of time reading them. You were kind of told what they said, what they would say or, or what they meant. But as I started down that process, it really opened my eyes to how much intersection there was between the leadership of a school district and the legal portion of what schools do. And, and there were so many places that you would see that intersection, everything from employment law to constitutional law to, uh, you know, taxing authority, all sorts of, you know, student rights. I mean, there was just so much that I learned in, in that policy revision that really led me to, to really pursue that law school, uh, you know, and take the LSAT and, and see if I couldn't get in. And I, I was fortunate I was able to, and, and that really led to that understanding of how the two could meld together. You know, from my perspective, I think uh, it seems to me that lawyers and educators generally have a somewhat different approach than each other, um, coming at it at a different angles, if you will. And uh, I want you to – I just kind of want to know your thoughts. I mean, do you think lawyers think differently than educators? And if so, why? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's – you know, the – after you've been in law school and you see the way that professors train you to think and analyze a, a problem, um, you certainly see the difference in the approach. While both an educational leader and a lawyer are very analytic in that they take facts and take things and, and kind of bring them all together to make a good decision about where they think that is leading, you know, whether it's a, a legal question or a, something within a school district. But I think the, the difference is, is with lawyers, they pretty much take the emotion out of the decision-making process. It may be emotional. I mean, we've all seen attorneys that get fiery or, or get passionate about their art, but as they're deciding the legal analysis, it's really void of any of the political or relationship pieces that oftentimes an educational leader has to really have as part of their equation because it's a relationship business. As an educational leader, I mean, your best educators are great people when it comes to building relationships and understanding that dynamic and communicating. And, but because of that, there's personality involved, there's politics involved. And I think an attorney oftentimes can avoid that piece when doing their analysis in an educational leader can't. I want to ask you this one. You know, if you, if you were to talk to a superintendent and say, okay, this is what you need to understand about how a school lawyer is going to think about things, how they're going to approach problem solving, what would you tell them? I would tell them that, you know, realistically, uh, an attorney is going to approach it as a fact-based decision-making process when they lay the law over it. So they're going to take the facts that you have, again, void of the personality, void of the fact that maybe that teacher has been driving you nuts for five years and it's finally come to head that now you're, you're ready to do something about it. That doesn't matter. It's what have you done about it now? And they really do that fact intensive about removing that emotion, you know, in, in 
And I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand. And sometimes too, the other one, I think for an attorney, oftentimes there's some business decision that goes in with that too. That's hard. Even okay, when- Explain that, Paul. What do you, what, what do you mean by that? Um, sometimes uh, something will be moving ahead and a school leader will say, we didn't do anything wrong. And that very well could be true. It, it very well, they could be have done everything right but because of the fact pattern that's present, there may be a decision to move towards a settlement or to make some other, you know, to uh, develop an agreement that allows the parties to separate in a more amicable way. And that's frustrating sometimes for the school leader that looks at the work they've done and really look at it as I've done everything right or we've done everything according to, that may be, but sometimes because of weighing out What's the cost to the organization, whether that's time, whether that's dollars, whether that's emotional fatigue, whether, you know, whether it's credibility within a, a district, and you lay that against what you could maybe settle for or move a process along in, in really it's a business decision that you have to, whichever is going to make the most sense you got to do, even if it's contrary to what you believe the situation is. And, and, and that's hard to deal with. And it's, it's hard sometimes when your insurance gets involved and maybe want to move towards a settlement and again. But again, those are based on the facts with the law overlaid, taking the emotion and the personality out of it. That's tough when you're emotion and personality driven like education is. You know, it's fascinating to me that you said that because I hadn't really quite thought of it in terms of of the business decision piece of it. But, you know, uh, a lot of times our educators, I mean, they're leaders for a reason. They have, uh, you know, made decisions that they think that's the right decision. And they're invested in that because it's morally right. It's what's best for their kids. And then to have that second guest and maybe expose the district to liability would be to say that that wasn't the right thing for kids. Mm -hmm. And so I can see exactly what you're saying in the sense that, okay, well, let's just get to the practical business aspect of this. We can, you know, get this resolved, move on down the road, and you can focus back on what it takes, what it means to take care of kids and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, and it goes to that objectivity you've been, in, you know, kind of referencing as well. You know, the lawyer is a little bit more removed from that a lot of times and hasn't uh, really looked at it from the same angle. You know, um, so that all of that makes perfect sense to me. I want to flip it on you, though. Um, I mean, if you were to talk to a lawyer and say, okay, look, here is what you really need to understand about what a superintendent is going to think about problem solving. What would you say? You know, I, I think it's all, like you said, you flip it because, and I'll tell you, this is one of the hardest things to do when I was practicing as an attorney is I'd work with a district and develop a solution or an approach to a problem or some kind of way that they were gonna engage a situation. We talked through that, they would do it. And oftentimes I'd never hear the outcome. And that was always hard for me being, because again, I was a relationship person in school. So I'd say, okay, do this, this, and this. They would do it and maybe it'd work out great, but I may never talk to them about it again. And that I always so lacked that, that what happened, you know, and, uh, and I think that's tough. I do think that is tough. It, it's a, uh, it, it, you know, 
And, and I think part of it goes to the role of an attorney. And <clears throat> frankly, when it comes down to it, you know, the, the legal piece of it is just one small portion of any decision of anything that a, a school district really has to do. Um, you know, I think sometimes lawyers kind of approach the thing thinking, okay, well, you know, here I'm going to talk to you about the law, and this is probably needs to be the, the, the paramount thing that you consider. And it's just one factor among many factors that, that somebody's got to take into account, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, I think when you have a great attorney that works with you, oftentimes you head off some of those problems because you're front loading a little bit. And, you know, and I think that's the other thing that I think school administrators, school leaders really need. The more time you can spend on the front end before something's a problem is the less you're going to have to toil with the emotion on the backside. And I say that whether that's policy updates, whether that's um, engaging an attorney early on when you see something that might be a problem, you know, it's that front-loading piece that I think oftentimes we're reluctant to do. Um, the majority of our districts in the state aren't funded real well, so we're always cautious of that dollar and and how do I spend it? But I would argue, ninety-nine percent of the time, it seems like the dollars I would spend before a situation were much better spent. Than the ones after, if that makes you know, makes sense. I think you put a little bit of effort into making sure your policy addresses things in a way you want to, or that your evaluation system is legal and is really looking at the things it needs. And you look at those pieces, and then you can avoid a lot of the the spending of the dollars on the backside. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think an, a, a corollary to that too is uh, really honing those people skills, right? Because there's so much that can be accomplished by and, – and, and I'm not suggesting that all legal problems are the product of a failure on the people skills. I'm not, not – nothing of the sort. But, boy, it's amazing how much legal risk you can mitigate through relationships, through working with people. And, uh, you know, you may not get there. Some folks, you're never going to get there, right? But – but it really can mitigate some legal risk by, by putting that effort in up front, as you said. Yeah, and, and, the, and the people skills are big too, because in, you, it's a cliche, but you, know, you, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I, at one point I had a board that I'm pretty sure kind of expected me to terminate people somehow with a smile on my face. And you know, and that, <laughs> but there's something to be said with that, that they didn't want it to become this adversarial. They knew what needed to happen. They wanted me to treat the people with respect. They didn't want it to be a pound my fist on the table and get out of here. You're they wanted the whole process to be in it. And it actually was pretty effective. And I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, you know, terminate somebody with a smile on your, but it was that respect piece. And that's that people skill of how the, the law and, and leadership kind of fit together. There may be a legal reason that we're going to end our, our employment relationship here, but I can do that with a personal touch that doesn't leave us fighting or wasting dollars on the backside, fighting about something that sh should never be fought about. So that's a good point. Um, I want to kind of shift and just ask you this question. You know, you've been around school law for quite a while now. Um, the uh, and and I kind of want to get a sense from you your perspective on how school law has changed in the time that you've been around it, Paul? Wow. Um, I think one of the biggest pieces that I see is 
how much our policy manuals have grown. And a lot of times that's in direct response to legislation that's passed, whether that be federal or state or even local sometimes, I guess. But when I think of that, every year we're in Jeff City working with legislators or maybe working against legislators in some cases about things that they're passing to do to schools. Whether that's a new way that we have to deliver a curriculum, whether that's a new provision we have to put in a contract, whether that's, and all of those things add up to additional policies that end up in our board, you know, our board policy manuals. And I think that's the hardest part of that intersection is there's so much more of it. It used to be pretty good if you were a school lawyer and you understood First Amendment rights and student rights and due process and maybe some contract law over here. But now they're, you know, everything from chapter 100s to, um, you know, contract provisions to what you have to teach, what you can't teach, what you need. And it's just, it, it really, um, to me, is kind of symbolized over the last, I'm going to say over the last decade, just the growth in the number of laws every year that come out to dictate when we can start school, when we have to end school, what time, what do we need to include in a day, how many minutes of that, you know, and it just, and I think that's very difficult for the school leader to keep up with without having some good legal counsel, whether that's something they're doing on their own to seek that out, or whether that's somebody they work with on a regular basis, it, it's overwhelming if you don't. You know, it, it seems like sometimes that it has become so technical, it's hard to lead. You know, the, the compliance issues are so weighty and every, every, you know, every decision that you make, you know, there are so many factors that you've got to look at in terms of, okay, how do we do what, what's best for kids and how does that work in our community and, and how's this going to impact our staff and how, all of these things. And, and yet, you know, you may be hamstrung really by the, by the compliance issues that, that go with all of that and with any, any particular decision that you have to make anymore. But um, it seems like that uh, it is very pervasive um, and it, it uh, you know, we can talk about local control, but in many ways, um, you know, it, it's not local control if we have the state saying you have to have a policy about X, Y, and Z. Uh, yeah, we can make the policy, but it, it you know, it's got to be a you have to have a policy A, and then that policy needs to say these things. Well, that's really no different than just regulating it at the state level. Uh, you, you know, and, and I think no more, we've really recognized that this year with the pandemic, this local control is great, just as long as you're doing what I think you ought to be doing. That's, That's right. kind of the mantra <laughs> for everybody. It seems like, you know, everybody supports this idea is that our community should be able to, you know, kind of, you know, follow the path that they need to follow for their community, unless it's not what I want. And, and I just think that's frustrating because I think we're seeing a lot of legislation this year that could come back to result in different policies or different ways we have to handle things. That's oftentimes really kind of geared towards getting rid of that local control or the ability for a local elected school board to do what they feel they need to do for their community. That's a, that's actually something that I think would be a good thing to get your perspective on. And that is decisions that are made at the local level, you know, by leaders, um, when it comes down to it, you know, how should the law um, fit into a superintendent's decision-making matrix, if you will? 
you know, how does it, how does it, it, it uh, fit together with everything else that you've got to put together in, in terms of that puzzle and all the different pieces? I think your best leaders have the ability to always kind of have a backdrop of, of something as, as they're making those decisions. Meaning, it, you know, if it's a curricular decision, maybe it's best practice on instructional methods. And, but when it comes to most of our decisions that are going to have that legal nature, it's, it's that fundamental understanding of what kind of is legal. I know that's kind of, but, you know, what are my, what are the, the things I need to consider when dealing with due process? You know, and let's take a student issue. In the back of their mind, yes, they're listening to the principal tell the story about how they ended up with the student that maybe had, you know, drugs in their possession at school. And But in the back of the, the leader's mind, yeah, they're listening to that and they're empathetic with the situation with their principal and, and what a drain it's been on their day or whatever, or the other pieces. But in the back of their mind, they're, they're clicking off boxes of, Okay, yes, the student was given due process, you know, where that was parent kind you know, and they're going through those pieces while they're actually engaged in that relationship with their maybe decision maker at a, a building level, or maybe it's a dec decision maker at, at the central office level on an employment issue. But in the back, a, a great leader, they're, they're really kind of clicking those boxes off as they hear that story, because really that's what it comes down to. It is a story, it is a communication piece that somebody's trying to tell you where they ended up, where they're at now. And I think your best leaders have that kind of, you know, it's almost like a, a laundry list of things in these situations that I need to at least be thinking about. So. Good, good, good insight there, Paul. Uh, I do want to shift that a little bit, though, away from leaders and talk about the people that are uh, a part of the governing body and and their decision making and and you know how do you think a board should approach legal issues uh, when they do surface in a district because they're going to surface in every single district right yes and i think your board your your best governance team and leadership team have forged a relationship of trust long before that problem comes because we all are going to have a problem and they're typically employee or student related. Very seldom do we have a curriculum crisis, but although more recently we've even heard of curriculum crisis that seem to be intersecting legally here of late. Um, but really True. typically they tend to be, well, that's another topic. Another <laughs> exactly. Uh, but typically they tend to be personal, you know, people issues. And I think as a, a board approaches those, you know, they, hopefully they have that trust with their leader, that that leader has been forthright and, and clear and able to communicate throughout that process to get them to the point. But oftentimes then that board really has the relationship piece as an elected official that we see so often with elected officials where they have the community that, that they're answering to. And the community oftentimes doesn't care what's legal. They care what they're passionate about. <laughs> And, and, you know, and I, they care about what's legal when they get the bill at the end, but when their beloved football coach gets in trouble That's right. and is going to be removed, all they care about is that they won the state championship last year, not the fact that he did something outside of school or in some other venue that resulted in him having to be removed. And then that board is trying to decide, well, we removed everybody else that had this situation take place. But now we don't want to because we want to stay champion. So it's that 
and that's when that really that relationship between the, the leader, the superintendent, and the board really gets strained. And if you built that level of trust and understanding, I think you can navigate those much better, but you can't try to build it when the situation happens. So I think you, you have to have a leader that will explain the law, explain what the perils of not following that are, but ultimately it's gonna be a board decision. And I think you need to be able to make sure the board goes into making that decision with their eyes wide open of what that means, not only for this situation, but into the future, because we know that after you do it once, there's an expectation you're gonna do that again. So let's, you know, going back to a situation, maybe somebody had a, a DWI that in the past, you've relieved people of extra duty positions when they've had that. Now you get the situation, maybe somebody has a DWI and you don't want to. Well, you better be prepared in the future then to not remove people with DWIs in the future. If that's gonna be a shift you're willing to, to live with, then fine, do that board, your choice, but understand you've called into question everything you've done in the past and you're changing the mantra you're using going forward. If you can understand that and still wanna make that decision, it's their decision. But I think the leader's job is to make sure they understand that. And I wanna drill down on that a little bit because I know we have a lot of leaders listening to this that, you know, probably have been in this kind of situation. And let's just say you're a superintendent and you've sought legal advice. You've talked to these school attorneys and, and, you know, they've advised against a particular course of action. They said, okay, look, if you do this, you're going to be facing significant risk of legal claims. That's, that's likely to happen, but your board is in a different place. And the majority of the board is saying, look, we really do need to do this. Um, how do you reconcile those competing demands? You know, when you're really kind of being put in the middle as that leader. And, you know, as terrible as it sounds, because again, I, I was just talking about how you got to have that great relationship, but you got to document it. You know, I really think it, looking at it from a school leader standpoint, if I'm going to share with my board that uh, a course of action that they're going to head down is not the best course of action. I'm probably going to put that in writing at some point to them, whether that's a memo for exec session, whether, you know, and I, and I say that <laughs> this will sound terrible, but chances are, if things really go South, you're still going to be held accountable for the decision that was made. But at least if you've placed it in a way that you can remind the board, remember I said, this was in all likelihood a potential outcome of making this decision in this way at least it provides you a little protection that you can say, I've given you the best advice I can, the best advice you pay me to do. I understand if you're going to make a different decision, but understand it's against my recommendation. You and, know, the, the thing about that too, Paul, not to interrupt, but I mean, it also, it's communicating to them the importance of what you're saying when you reduce it to writing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets, it gets, it, okay, he's, you know, this is pretty serious and, and it's clear and it's not just a conversation you had with the board in writing, you've put it out there so that they clearly understand. I think that's great advice. Um, great advice. And I think um, oftentimes too, school leaders are reluctant maybe to bring in the attorney. Uh, but there are those times, especially when it gets to that type of situation where, you know, there's a, a feeling on the board that maybe they don't want to maybe follow best practice based on the, the legal analysis. That's the time for the superintendent to, to go ahead and bring that attorney in to make sure 
the board understands the importance of the decision they're gonna make. I mean, oftentimes we could deliver a memo from an attorney and just say, hey, attorney says, well, I advise against it. Bringing that attorney to meet face-to-face -face with the board in that executive session sometimes is the most appropriate way to add that exclamation point on the end of the recommendation. Uh, I, you know, it's, nobody wants to go down there, you know, nobody wants to drag an attorney in for a late night meeting and nobody wants to spend the money. But in that case, it's probably the best practice. Again, it emphasizes the weight of the decision they're, they're going to make and what the potential ramifications could be. You know, the nice thing from my perspective that that also does is that, okay, I'm there when they make that decision now, okay, we've made that decision. Let's talk about what we can do to mitigate the risk as much as possible based on the decision that you just made. I understand that you didn't take our legal advice to begin with in terms of the decision. Well, my job's not over now. And now it just got a lot busier because now, now I've, now I've got to really try to take as many steps as possible as we're talking about implementing that decision that mitigates as much risk as we can. And I think that's an awesome point because again, to me, it's almost like I talked about earlier that front loading of the policy or front load. You know, there's a potential problem coming. Front load that now. Talk about what the talking points are, if there is any, for the decision that's made about how we're going to frame that. Who's going to be the voice? Is there a voice? All those pieces that can avoid so many problems later, because it's probably a hot topic in the community. You're probably going to have board members or administrators that are stopped at the grocery store or, you know, at the football game. Absolutely. They're going to want to know. But how do we frame that in a way or place people in the best position possible to avoid a greater conflict? So I think that's a great point, Paul. You know, one thing I did want to ask you, uh, you know, because you have such a unique background and, um, you know, it, you know, the school attorney, school uh, leader aspects of, of your experience. If you had to do it over again and you could change one thing about your professional path, but only one thing, you only get one, Paul, <laughs> you can only change one thing. What would it be? I would have studied harder in civil pro. I don't know. No, no, I just Wouldn't we all, that. right? Would have thrown on fourth and long instead of trying to run the ball. No, I don't, you know, actually, I've been so fortunate. I have had awesome experiences. You know, I've been a, a, a part of a, as a coach with great teams and great kids. And I've been able to watch some of them grow up and be coaches. You know, I've been able to teach and have kids come back and say I made a difference with that. I've been administrators where I really think I made a difference in a community and built lifelong friendships. As an attorney, I learned so much about that world and, and, and how to process things and met great, wonderful people that'll be friends there. And now in my role now, I feel like, you know, I, I've even got that even further where I get to kind of meld all those pieces. I, I don't know that I'd change a thing. I mean, I, I, you know, are there days that you don't like your job? Yeah. I mean, we all have those because something didn't go the way we wanted or, or maybe at the end of the day, you said that wasn't my best work. But as a whole, when I take, you know, the opportunities I've been afforded, leaving, you know, I thought I was going to go into the military when I was in high school. Kind of what I thought, you know, I did took the ASVAB and thought, and look at that and to where I am now. You know, I, I was the first one of, of my family to graduate college. So me too. I, 
you know, I take all those pieces and I go, I don't know that I would have changed a thing because I don't know that I'd end up where I am now, which is a pretty good place had I changed something along the line. You know, I, I have a similar perspective. I'm, I'm like you. I mean, uh, actually, no one really expected me to go to college, but I, I did the opposite in, in some respects in the sense that the military was my way out. You know, I took an Army ROTC scholarship and everything, and that made a difference in the world. Well, I'm going to let you get away with that one, but I'm going to make it – I'm going to vary it a little bit so that you have to kind of get to something here uh, that I want to – if you had the opportunity, knowing what you know now – to go back and sit a young Paul Ziegler down and say, okay, look, here's what you really need to know about school law and how it really works. What would you say to yourself? I think what I've learned most about school law is be prepared for anything. There's not many places that law doesn't intersect with the business of school. We own property, we tax, we're First Amendment, we hold elections, we deal with every employment law under the sun, we have pension. I mean, it's hard for me to think outside of securities. And even that, when you go to invest, you better know what you're doing as a superintendent so that you can stay within the legal policies, both you know from what your board says and also the state. I mean, there's so much, I think when I originally came towards school law, I thought it was about kids and teachers and there's a lot more to it. That may be what burns up the most of our time, most of what we hear about, but there are so many other pieces with contract law, with vendors. You've done, you know, great podcasts on that. I mean, there's so many pieces. And I think when I first came into educational law or thought about being a, an educational attorney, I really only thought about kids and teachers and there's just a a lot more to make a school district go than just those, despite those being the most important ones. So that's a great answer. Um, I think with that one, Paul, I'm going to go ahead and close us out today. Thank you so much for spending some time and your insights into school leadership in the law. Really appreciate you taking the time and uh, uh, giving us a little bit of advice and some some thoughts uh, based on your experience. Um, and we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today. And we hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes as we talk about current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or you can check us out at our website. Uh, just Google Ed Council, all one word, E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together today, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.